0: 've got a Bible with you, then uh, you might want to turn to Galatians. that's the, the book that we're studying at the moment as a church that we're looking at. Uh, so Galatians one, we're still in Galatians one Andy spoke on that uh, the first sort of opening nine verses or so uh, last week, uh, which I'd encourage you to catch up on if you've missed it. These first two weeks are kind of uh, like the overture to the series as it were. Uh, so we're going to sort of hit a few themes that we'll come back and then look at in more depth as we go along. Uh, my name is Aaron. If you're if it's one of your first times with us, uh, I'm one of the elders here, which means I'm part of the, the leadership of the church. Um, as a church, we're looking at this series in Galatians, this letter written by Paul to the churches, a group of churches in Galatia. And he was he was sort of very uh, forceful with his language, and he was so he was serious about the good news. So we've entitled this seri- series "Seriously Good News." So we're We're looking at how the gospel is seriously good news to our lives. And uh, I just want to encourage you to allow yourself to be refreshed. I think as the word that Matt brought, it's really important to be refreshed wherever you are. If you think, oh, actually, I'm really having a tough time. Allow the spirit of God to come and refresh you as you hear the gospel again. Or if you think, actually, I'm I'm going all guns blazing, Allow the spirit of God to refresh you and encourage you and push you on again as you hear the gospel again. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, one of those uh, t-shirts that says, we're going to skip on to this. One of these t-shirts that says, only God can judge me. You ever heard that expression? The translation for that usually really is, don't bother me, I wanna do what I want, I wanna sin in peace, I wanna, you know, just get on with my life. That's normally, you know, someone puts it on, they put something outrageous out there and they go, but only God can judge me, you know, hashtag only God can judge me. I've done something crazy, but only God can judge me. And they're trying to sort of basically remove any social accountability. But actually, I wanna say that the gospel is really good news about approval and judgment. I think we we live in a culture and a society that is craving approval. We think, perhaps, in Westerns of society that we've drifted from a shame honour culture. Maybe we had done. I think we're drifting back into it. I don't know if you know what that means. Sort of the idea that actually your social status is based on whether you're honoured or shamed, and actually that's what's really important. So you think things like Facebook and. uh, Snapchat and uh, Instagram, all those social media platforms, they're based on trying to get you to post something that people will like. Now, I think social media is is neutral in terms of it's not inherently negative or inherently positive. Actually, it's a great tool for communication. Great way to keep in contact with family and friends. But there's something that's built in there where it can be twisted. And actually, there's a desire for, I'm doing this, I'm going to, you know, pose in such a way or I'm going to behave in such a way that people will want to look at this and will press that little button which will make me go, I feel validated. I feel approved by my peers. But the gospel is seriously good news about approval and judgment. Human beings hate injustice. It's built in us. I don't know if you've ever watched a news story where you've seen Uh, a guy or a woman who's committed a crime and then they've been sentenced and you think, how is that equated to six months? How is that equated to only that, only a fine? How is that equated to that? There was a a thing this week about a driver who was pulled over, he was banned, he had 51 points on his licence but he was still driving around in his car. You think, how, this doesn't make sense. How, How can you still sort of be, Moting around at 51 points, it doesn't make any sense. Um, we hate injustice, don't we? When we see that, something in us goes, oh, that's not right, that's not right, that's not what they deserve. Smaller things, we can hate injustice when, you know, if you're, if you're a local and you've driven round bushy arches before, coming via Tesco and you've queued up and you stayed in the left-hand lane and someone comes along in the right-hand lane and they cut in just before the turn. (laughs) It's always, it's Simon, right? Get him! (laughs) But there's an injustice there, isn't there? Now, just as a little aside, for my own personal sanity and uh, relationship with uh, other human beings, I have decided that everyone who cuts in has a family emergency. So they have to do it because there's a family emergency. So I've decided that's the narrative that I'm living my life by. Um, But we hate that, don't we? It's like, that is not fair. We have all queued up for 20 minutes to get through and you just sail past and cut in. (laughs) I'm not going to repeat that. Um, The gospel is good news about justice Judgment and approval. There will be a day when judgment will be pronounced over every life, every driver, <laughs> every person who has ever lived, their eternal destiny will be decided by the judge of all the earth. God will judge. I'm not gonna talk about judging others really today, but we, we may get into that at some point, but God is the only one qualified to make that judgment, to make that eternal judgment. Because of his holiness, his perfection, his goodness, his rightness, every judgment will be accurate and fair. On that day, no one will look at the judgment of God and go, but how are you letting him off so easy? Or, but they don't deserve that. In Revelation, the, the book that's, uh, uh, that was referenced earlier, it says this in Revelation 16, that there will be a song sung that says this, Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. It will be celebrated the judgment that's pronounced will be celebrated because it's true and just and it's fair. In that judgment from God, we will either receive God's approval or his condemnation. And that will be based on whether we have achieved the perfection of holiness or whether we have lived and fallen short of that standard and sinned. And he referenced last week the sin, I think it was last week, the sin can mean like missing the mark. So it doesn't just mean doing bad things. It means not getting it perfect. You know, you think of like a bullseye target. It's not that you just didn't get the black dot in the middle, maybe you got the, you know, the immediate ring outside, You got the red. It's not good enough, it's not perfection. So unless we meet that perfect, perfect standard, we should receive the condemnation of God. But today, as I said, we're going to look at how the gospel is seriously good news about judgment and approval. See, Paul lived with God as his judge. He lived with that in his mind. He said this. In Galatians 1 verses uh, 10 to 12. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul lived with God as his judge. Key verse from that that we're gonna focus in on is verse 10, the first verse there. Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says this in another letter, can't really read that very well on there. But in uh, 1 Corinthians 4, he says this, this is how one should regard us, speaking about apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm just gonna read that again. But with me, so Paul's saying this to the church that he's heavily involved in. He's saying, with me, it's a very small thing if you try and judge me, or if any human court tries to judge me. To be honest, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. Paul saying he doesn't even, his judgment of himself, he doesn't even trust that. Hey, I, I think I'm doing all right, but actually, God's got the final say. He's aware that when he stands before the holy God, he's not going to be able to go, actually, I think I did all right. It's what God says, that is the judgment. Now, there was an accusation towards Paul uh, in this, this Galatians letter that... <laughs> he would often tailor or behave differently towards people to try and win them over. He'd sort of tailor his message towards them to win people over to the gospel, which as an accusation was true, to be honest, uh, on one level. Uh, He would use cultural translation. So he would say, this is true in this culture. And actually there's there's a sort of an analog thing, a thing that matches up in your culture. And so I'm gonna use that to sort of match up and explain the gospel to you but he wasn't a people pleaser. He didn't change the gospel to meet the culture he was speaking into. He showed how the gospel was seriously good news to the culture he was speaking into. So there's there's touchstones, there's points of connection with every type of culture. Acts 17 is probably one of the best uh, examples of this. Uh, Paul is in Athens, you don't need to turn there. Um, and he's walking around the city and he sees a statue oh he sees a plinth and it says to the unknown god and then he says this to the he sort of goes to uh, to speak to a crowd and he says this men of athens i perceive that in every way you are very religious so this is a Athens, there's gods, loads of gods lined up and there's even a statue or a little section that's sort of for worshipping the unknown gods. And he says, I see that you're religious in every way. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. The times of it. He basically, he's saying, you, you're worshipping things that have been made and you're, you're sort of carving things out and worshipping them. But even your own prophets, your own poets say that actually we are his offspring. So why, if we're his offspring, why would you think that God is a piece of wood? This God that you don't know, I'm revealing him to you. You you recognise that there's something you don't know about the divine. I'm I'm opening this up to you. He found in that culture where actually you could look around and think, these people are so far away from God, they're never going to get saved. Actually, he looked around and he found, actually, these things. They're not in my way. They're my way in. And I think sometimes we can view view things as obstructions to the gospel message when actually they're... There are points where we can converse with people. I used to have sort of, when I was working, I had some quite good, a quite good friend who's a Muslim, who I recently, I met him uh, in Asda just recently, haven't seen him for years, but we would talk about his faith and my faith. Now he, he's not become a Christian, um, but actually that was a, it was a point where we could talk about things. And so I used to try and view not his, his faith not as a, an obstruction to the gospel, which obviously it is in some senses, but actually that's an avenue for me to start a conversation. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, there's, you believe this? Okay, well, why do you believe that? Oh, well, you know, the, I was told this and told that. Okay, well, what, have you looked that up for yourself? Or, you know, can you examine that? Well, actually, you know, so we, we have these conversations. And so what could be seen as an obstruction is actually can be an avenue in to sharing the gospel. C.S. Lewis, when he was growing up, had a teacher called William Kirkpatrick, who was sort of a very strong atheist and taught Lewis to, uh, to reason and sort of logic arguments through. And actually, C.S. Lewis credits this guy with uh, his sort of the, one of his sort of key people in him becoming a Christian because he taught him the skills to go, well, hang on, I need to examine this myself. I need to look at these things. Uh, And so this guy who was an atheist, who was trying to sort of shape Lewis's mind and and did to a large degree of like, this is how you reason out arguments, actually resulted in C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian. He's sort of credited quite heavily by Lewis. That's all on the side, really, to say that sometimes what is seen as an, an obstruction to the gospel What looks like it's in our way is actually our way in. But Paul is saying here that he's living only to please God. The gospel he preaches is preached in the same way. He won't compromise his message because of the people he's with. And that's demonstrated in the next few verses, and the next few weeks, where Paul actually confronts Peter, one of the other apostles, but... Next week, Brian's going to look at Paul visiting the uh, other apostles and receiving confirmation from them that what he's preaching and who he is, actually, this guy's legit. He's, he's okay. As I said Andy spoke last week about the core of the gospel being sort of an element of that being that we're rescued. We're rescued from what, for what? We're rescued from this negative judgment, this condemnation on judgment day. That's why the gospel is seriously good news. We're rescued from condemnation. We're rescued for the purpose of glorifying God by delighting in him and obeying him. In Psalm 23, a famous Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. One of the lines that I think often gets slightly overlooked is you lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. God wants to rescue us and guide us and lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, for his glory. In Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, Jesus says this. He's being questioned, what's the greatest commandment? What's the the best thing? He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. This is the standard to be judged by. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? That's the, that's the sort of the yardstick, you got, you got it? And love your neighbor as yourself. They're the two sort of things that Jesus says, this is the peak, if you do that, you've got the rest nailed. George Muller Mueller, uh, said this, the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. This was a guy who was looking after hundreds of orphaned children and living by faith. You know, receiving uh, donations to support what he's doing. Gets up in the morning, I heard someone say other day, what's your priorities today, George? I'm gonna make my soul happy in God, then I'll see you about the rest of the day. Right, hang on, there's hundreds of kids that need breakfast. I'm going to make sure my soul is happy in God and then we'll see about the day. This morning, I want, I believe, as I just started preparing, I've just wanted to focus in on this one verse, to be honest, this verse 10. Galatians 1, verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or God or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I felt it important to focus in on that because God was... I think he wants to ask us the question, whose approval are you seeking? Whose approval are you seeking? Are you seeking the approval of others? Are you looking to other people to validate you? You know, post a picture of my quiet time on Facebook, 20 people liked it, must have been a good quiet time. is Is that your source of validation? Are you seeking approval from yourself? As long as I'm happy with what I'm doing, that's okay. Or are you seeking the approval of God? Are you living for the approval of God? So we can live to be validated by others, by what they say about us. But Paul says he wouldn't be a servant of Christ if he did that, if he was living to still, to try and gain approval and please other people, he wouldn't even be a servant of Christ. We can live our lives defined by the expectations and demands placed on us by others. Maybe your life is defined by the expectations that your parents have placed on you. You've got to achieve this level of success you've got to have done these things by this age. Maybe your life is currently defined by the expectations that your siblings have placed on you. Maybe your parents are getting a bit older. Hey, you need to look after mum and dad, I can't do it. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe you have not been a Christian long. And actually your friends are going, okay, come on, you're you're the guy who... He gets 10 pints on a Friday and he gets, you know, gets us into trouble. Come on, you're the ringleader. Maybe that's, that expectation is defining you. Maybe it's your coworkers or your boss or the elders of the church. Are you living for the approval of the elders of the church? I really hope you're not. We need to not be defined by the expectations and demands placed on us by other people. Now, your spouse, I think, is a, it's a slightly grey area. I think you shouldn't be defined by that. But actually, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, it's, it's great to be single because if you're single, you're completely focused on what God wants. You don't have to worry about anything else. You know, don't have to worry about whose turn is it to get up and look after the baby. Don't have to worry about it. It's like, hey... I'm going to sleep right through. I'm going to wake up well rested. I'm going to have a great quiet time all by myself. No one disturbing me. Actually, Paul says, it's great if you're single and you can do that. You can devote yourself completely to God. If you're married, you're thinking about two things. My spouse, my family, and what God wants. You've got divided loyalties. And that's right to some extent. I'd say you need to sort of find a way to manage as a couple, as a family, how you still prioritise God first in your family, but actually as an individual, your, your loyalties are divided and rightly so. So I just wanna encourage you if you're single, I think historically churches have been rubbish with this. It's like, it's almost, you're seen as like not a person unless you're married. Actually, I would say If you're single, I'm going to say something slightly controversial. Hey, why don't you stay that way? God, indeed indeed he does. I just want to encourage you, pray about it. Genuinely, as a 19-year-old guy, I spent a long time praying about whether God wanted me to get married or not. So I was like, God, I, I don't want to have divided loyalties. I want to be able to give everything for you. And... I'm not going to tell the story, but, but, well, I will. Basically, I had a dream. I had a dream where this little girl came and sat on my lap and said, Daddy, you know, so started talking to me and I had this conversation with this little girl and I woke up and I, I prayed about it and I felt God that's saying to me, actually, no, I want you to be a dad. And not just, you know, I want you to be a dad to not just your own children, but sort of more broadly than that. Um, but I think it's, it's, we need to be serious about this. Don't let other people define or don't seek other peop- your approval from other people. From yourself. If we try and function from our own sense of approval, we'll drift one of two ways. Either we'll be too easy on ourselves. Hey, I'm acing it. I'm doing great. No flies on me. I'm smashing it. Or we'll be too hard on ourselves. I can't do anything right. I try so hard, but I just can't. I just can't work out how I can read my Bible every day. I just, I don't know how to do it. Or oh, I lost my temper again. I'm so useless. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, even deceiving itself. We deceive ourselves. We're not good at judging ourselves. That's why we encourage people to be in uh, sort of different levels of discipleship. We talk about three, 12 and 72 levels of discipleship. So be in a three, be in a a sort of a close-knit group where you can say, listen, I need you to to challenge me on this thing. With, you know, maybe one or two, three other people. Be in a 12, be in an explore group, be in a, a sort of slightly broader context where you can maybe share, but not not completely as openly as you would do in that small group, but you can still share and say, listen, can you pray for us? You know, our home is just not a place of peace at the moment. Can you just pray for us? You, be, you can be open and then obviously be part of the, the bigger context, this context. Seeking the approval of others or even our own self is a surefire way to end up wallowing in self-loathing or at our lack of performance or recognition from others. Or we can end up trapped in a cage of legalism or we end up blustering around pr- pridefully. Hey, I'm doing so great, everyone look at me. I sat in a room last week with uh, four other guys and i sort of primed them and said, we're gonna talk about what do you think your strengths are, and what do you think your weaknesses are? And by weaknesses, you know, if if the devil was going to take you out, if the enemy was going to sort of go, actually, no, you're, you're shipwrecked. What would he do? What would be the point of attack? And you know, I, I think we have a value of courage as a church, and so I'm not going to name <laughs> name those people, but I was just so pleased with these guys who we, all, we sat around and said, actually, I think this is what I, I can offer, what my strengths are, where I'm good. And I think this is where I'd get taken out, you know? And I, I'm sharing it with you guys because I want you to keep me accountable. I want you to help me to not do that. We say this, we choose to follow God on the adventure of faith. We speak and act in a way that makes it clear that he alone is Lord of our lives. We put aside our reputation and personal comfort to be obedient to the call of God. There's you know, sitting in the room and people could go, oh, you know, I'm fine actually. Oh, that, you know, that's, that's not an issue for me. They were, you know, or subtly, oh, you struggle with, well, I don't struggle with that. You know, it, actually these guys were open, honest, and saying, I want to follow God to the best that I possibly can. See, God's approval is the only one worth seeking. Trouble is, even if we're looking for God's approval, we can still run into error. I'm going to paraphrase Tim Keller. He says this, we know the doctrines or the words to say that our salvation and standing with God depend not on our own works, but on Christ's works. And yet sometimes we don't fully believe it. We flip back and forth between pride and self-loathing based on our performance even if we know it, sometimes you don't fully believe it. And so you could think, hang on, this is a slightly odd, uh, this, is, you know, this is a pretty basic message, but actually this is why the gospel is good news about approval and judgment. It's not based on our works. It's based on the finished work of Christ. The gospel says that Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't just avoid sin. He actively did the right thing at the, in the right way at the right time, every time. He lived for it. In John four, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John eight, he says, I always do what pleases the father. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, by Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's the gospel. We get credited with the righteousness of Christ. We're clothed with Christ. When God looks at us, if we are a follower of Jesus, he looks at you and sees the rightness of Jesus. God's approval of Jesus was this. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. When God looks on you as a follower of Jesus Christ, he looks at you and says, it's my beloved son. I'm, I'm well pleased with you. This is seriously good news. Because over the coming weeks, there will be a, a sort of an encouragement, a stirring towards holiness. We've had a little bit of that in the spiritual discipline series. But, and as we push towards that, it's essential that we know where to run to refuge from spiritual attack. As we push towards holiness, I want to encourage and endorse you to get this book. Uh, I'm sure many of you will have read it. It's been around for a while. The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. Uh, It's, well, I think it's an excellent book. Well-regarded. Uh, for a long time, great guy, Uh, but he says this, the truth of our acceptance by God through the righteousness of Christ may seem so elementary that you wonder why it is stressed here. It's because we need to dwell on it to thwart the attacks of Satan. The Holy Spirit makes us more aware of our lack of holiness to stimulate us to a deeper yearning and striving for holiness. But Satan will use the attempt of the Holy Spirit's work To discourage us, one of his main attacks is to convince you that you are not a genuine Christian at all. He will say something like, A true Christian wouldn't think the evil thoughts you've been thinking today. As we're sort of stimulated towards holiness, as we're sort of drawn towards that, as we're made aware, more aware of our sin. I I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I've been a Christian probably 30 odd years. I was young when I became a Christian. I'm more aware now of how rubbish I am than I was then. Now, I I recognise that my standing before God, I'm a a saint who sometimes sins, but I'm aware, actually, there's, there's stuff in me that needs to be pulled up and cleared off. Now, as that's pulled up, the options are, I can ask God, help me, clear this away. Clear this away from me, cleanse me. Or I can go, oh my goodness, I didn't realise that was in there. I'm such a terrible person. Oh, I'm awful. And just start wallowing. Actually, it's important for us to know as this stuff is dragged up, oh, thank goodness, my right. It's not about what I've done or what I think. It's about what Jesus has done. There's grace for me. The only true and lasting approval, and judgment comes from God. That will be the definitive judgment. The only route to God's approval is through the finished work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection. You cannot earn it for yourself, has to be received. We're saved by grace through faith. We can't build a case for ourselves. So I wanna just finish by asking a question, whose approval are you seeking? I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to, if you want to, if you think actually I've been living for the approval of others or I've been living for the approval, even I've been trying to sort of get my own self-approval, I'd invite you to to stand and then I'm going to pray for us. Uh, If we all just close our eyes, if people want to stand, if you want to live completely say oh, I just I want to live with the approval of God as my barometer then I invite you to just to stand up now Father God I thank you that we we can enjoy the seriously good news of the gospel that we don't have to live defined by the expectations and demands of other people. That that's not where we receive. We don't receive our approval from man. We receive it from God. We receive it through Jesus Christ, through his completed works. That we don't have to worry about, am I, am I performing to the high enough standard? Because Jesus did the right thing in the right way at the right time, every time. Lord, I thank you that the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be released from seeking approval from others. We would be released from trying to sort of live up to our own standards or live down to our own standards. But actually we would live knowing we're we're seeking the approval of you. We're living to glorify you, to follow you, And we do that by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. I pray that fire that was talked about earlier would just come and reignite passion for you, passion for holiness. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.